Welcome back to another episode of Hopeless Romantic, The Untold History of Ethiopia. I have an exciting episode for you guys. Uh, Today we're starting the fourth chapter of my book titled You Against Me Against the World. I promise you there's a lot of things to cover here. Um, It might take us several episodes to do that, but hey, I'm, I'm down for that. Um, and also, uh, I know I missed some weeks, uh, and didn't upload some episodes that was in lieu of, uh, Fasika season Easter for those of you guys who celebrate Easter, uh, Christ is risen, truly he's risen. And, uh, there was also, of course, our brothers, uh, Muslim brothers were celebrating, uh, Eid as well. So happy Eid Mubarak, um, but now, uh, through the grace of God, I'm hoping we can get back to our regular schedule. Um, with that being said, you know what time it is. We always begin this off with prayer. I ask all of you guys to gather your thoughts and your minds uh, for prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, I mean, holy, holy, holy is your name, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for bringing us together. I ask you to guide us through this episode and the journey that we are about to embark on as that what we discussed today serves to heal many wounds that have emerged in the midst of the conflict heavenly father i ask you that you bring peace to the nation and be with the family and provide comfort for those who are hurting and mourning and then with the father son of holy spirit and the intercession of the virgin mary and in that of the angels and saints we pray amen all right Before we get into the content of the book, I just want to encourage everyone to obviously buy the book, be a supporter, don't just listen, buy the book, and then read the book. Make sure to read the book. I really do appreciate all of you guys buying it, but make sure you read it. More importantly, uh, uh, pass it along on social media, especially these um, podcasts, uh, you know, share it, let people know it's being done. It takes a lot of energy to put these together. So, you know, uh, support. Uh, you could also follow me on Instagram or Twitter. My Instagram page is dmuluna. Uh, my Twitter is at uh, dawitmuluna6. And uh, again, I want to take time to thank all my patrons who have helped me. I wouldn't be able to do this without you. And if you want to become a supporter, you could go on patreon.podbean.com forward slash dowitmulina. That's patreon.podbean.com forward slash dowitmulina in order to become a patron support as well. All right. With that being said, like I said earlier, get ready. I hope you're sitting back. Because I got an exciting, exciting episode for you guys. This is one for, I was going to say the books. It's it's already the books. But I'll say this is one for the movies. I promise you. Um, Just to recap again. uh, Throughout the book, as I've mentioned several times. If you're just joining this episode. Maybe this is the first time that you're joining us. The book Hopeless Romantic is supposed to tell the history of Ethiopia through the metaphorical lens of the love that exists between a husband and a wife. And throughout the chapters, I take a certain theme within marriage and I try to focus on that and show the various dynamics that exist in order to uh, highlight a certain section of the history. In this particular chapter, I kind of 
um, go off script a little bit. I'm still within theme, but I go off script a little bit, and I start talking about Disney movies, and and I you know recount the stories of Cinderella, Pocahontas, Beauty and the Beast, hey, whatever, right? And then I ask a very basic question: What is this about these movies? This Disney movies that really uh, um, grasp our attention and that want us to to watch more. Um, and I say it is the ability for the boy and the girl to end up together despite the many obstacles that faces them along their journey. For example, the Cinderella uh, movie. It was the evil sisters that got in the way from the king, right? Uh, Pocahontas, it was... Uh, <clears throat> well, you know, the Pocahontas story is a little off than reality, but uh, the the real story is very grim. Uh, John, Captain John, as they call him, he was he might have been a real uh, colonizer ready to colonize their land, but of course the movie doesn't talk about that. But the story is still about how Pocahontas' family didn't approve of the love between Pocahontas and, and, and Captain John, the unlikely couple. But despite these obstacles they were able to uh get together similarly with uh, beauty and the beast these two unlikely couples managed to find their way to, to each other despite the obstacles it almost seems like the world is against them but they're able to find each other and make it to the la- to the end and and i make a point in the in the in the book that you know love stories that have more like obstacles and they make it whatever that means at the end these are the stories that we want to hear about and it gives us butterfly feelings and you know feeling of hopefulness about finding real love of course nobody wants to watch a movie about the couple that don't make it at the end can you imagine cinderella uh, in the cinderella movie the the prince he goes around trying to find the the shoe that fits into the uh, you know the, the whatever feet and he's unable to find her and the movie ends right there and you see the credits who would want to watch that right or in the case of Pocahontas and, and Captain John hey the re- reality is you know uh again Captain John was probably um a, a colonizer so can you imagine a scenario where you know they're saying hey we want to marry each other and then Pocahontas's family kills Captain John. That's the end of the movie. How grim would that movie be? Who would want to watch that, right? But we want to watch movies of the couples that make it at the end. We want to see like couples making it. Now, I bring this up again. Remember the 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 love stories that I'm bringing up in the book are there to serve as a window to the history of Ethiopia and it helps me create this parallelism between the love idea that we have in our mind and the history of Ethiopia and I illustrate that you know there are sections of Ethiopian history that I think narrates like a Disney movie and yes it's, it's, it seems like a true love story with you know all the villains and all and I think it's important to talk about these positive points of history because especially in the world stage it's often neglected we hear about Africa and in, in general in Ethiopia specifically about being you know poor and 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 div- divisive and and all these things but I think they're really like awesome stories that deserve attention and that kind of have the breadth of the Disney movies of that love story that we want to hear about. Um, 
And I think perhaps one of the most excellent examples of such a dramatic Disney-like story is the events that ensued during the reign of the famous king known as King Caleb somewhere around the 6th century or so. Um, Again, if if you don't know this story, it's very dramatic and... In this episode, I I will like to highlight just a portion of his reign and how dramatic it was. Um, And keep in the back of your mind these Disney movies of like, you know, uh, the the guy trying to find his love and and the antagonist getting in their way, right? Um, And just keep that in your mind and see how very similar to that uh, these actual historical events were. So we begin our story in uh, his reign in the year 518 AD, where um, King Caleb received some disturbing news about uh, a group of Christians in the region known as Hamar being persecuted. Now, if you guys don't know this region, this is around the South Arabian region. Now, to give you guys some context, and without getting too much into it, um, the Ethiopians in this region named Hemar or the Hemorites had engaged in varying disputes in the past several centuries. They were uh, sometimes they would fight, sometimes they would uh, Ethiopia would go there and 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 uh, fight them, and sometimes they weren't fighting. But anyway, they they had history. And much like other parts of the world during this period, Judaism and Christianity was always uh, uh, kind of presented to the public as competing religions. So the public were often made to choose between Judaism and Christianity. One religion was often presented as the opposition of the other. So it wasn't like they were; it was just a choice. But if you were a, a Jew, that meant you were an enemy to the Christian. If you were a Christian, that meant you were an enemy to the Jew, but things had taken a turn for the worse uh, that led to the recent persecutions in 518 AD. So much so that King Caleb decided to journey down to this region and rescue the Christians from further persecution. Keep this in mind. Caleb is an Ethiopian. The Himorites, who are located in present-day Yemen or Saudi Arabia, um, are of a different tribe and ethnicity. Right, and we talked about this in the, the previous region. This idea that Ethiopian church only looks for one region or one ethnic group. This is not true. In fact, here we're looking at how Caleb is going there to rescue the Hemorites only because they're Christians. He's looking at the fact that they're Christians and they're being persecuted, and he wants to go there and rescue them. The main reason behind his expedition to this region was because King Caleb wanted to rescue these Christians. Now, this is his love, right? If you want to go back uh, like a seesaw between this metaphorical lens of the love that exists between a husband and a wife and, and, and real life, here, in, like in the Disney-like tale movies, this is Caleb rescuing his love, his love being the Hemorites and the antagonist being these Guys persecuting Christians. Now, I, w- I want to say something uh, here that's worth mentioning. Um, so, if you know, if you're really like looking into this, and I, you know, everything I, I put up here in the podcast, I, I really strongly urge you guys to do your independent research, Google it, try to read a book about it. Uh, if you go into my book, I have a bunch of 
um, bibliography for all the, the stuff that I, I bring forward. <clears throat> and one thing that is intriguing is previous Western scholarship suggested that the Ethiopians went to Himar because they were persuaded by Rome to go so. So the idea here is the reason, according to Western scholarship, that Caleb decided to journey down to Himar is not because he wanted to save and rescue the Himarite Christians, but only because the mighty Rome was persuading Ethiopia to go. Uh, now, I, I see why Western scholarship said this, because Himar at that time was a, a very strategic uh, place. Rome was at war with Persia and needed this particular region. Like, everyone had their eye on this area, that the Himarites and the Himar uh, region. So, Rome... Uh, was apparently trying to con convince Ethiopia to go to Himar because Ethiopia is a Christian nation, so is Rome. Persia was not a Christian nation, so uh, you know Ethiopia could kind of be uh, at like the same team with Rome and 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 help them and and stuff with this. So this is what like the idea of of uh, Western scholarship was up until recent times. But the problem with this idea is that Ethiopians were being, there's this idea that the Ethiopians were being used and could not act on their own. So the implications here is there's no way Ethiopia could start, like would be willing to go down a hemorrhite on their own accord. There's no way these Africans, right? These like bunch of Africans, there's no way they would have been able to go down the hemorrhite on their own without some type of pushback from the mighty Rome. And of course, there's a lot of racism uh, elements behind these type of ideologies. But the biggest problem is there's no evidence for this. And um, <clears throat> uh, one historian named George Hotke has done his uh, dissertation, excellent dissertation, on this very topic. Why did Ethiopia go down to Hemorite? Was it because Rome was persuading Ethiopia to do so? And the answer is no. There's no evidence to show that Ethiopia... Uh, went to Hemar as some type of proxy war for uh, Rome. There is no evidence to do that. And this is key if you're in scholarship because it kind of, there's this um, racist undertone to it. Ethiopians couldn't go on their own. Anywho, enough said about that. Back to Caleb and this Disney-like movie. So Caleb headed down to Saudi Arabia and rescued those Christians who were being persecuted. He didn't stop there. He built churches for the community and even left some of his soldiers behind to defend them from future conflict. One memorable act that King Caleb did during his expedition is erect a monument of sort which contained the written account of how King Caleb was able to defeat the enemy by the help of God. The reason I say this was memorable is because when Emperor wrote the details of the expedition on the monument-like structure, he used the old writing system that is the unvocalized form of the alphabet that was being used 100 years prior to him. You guys remember, we talked about this in previous episodes, how the Ethiopic letters uh, kind of evolved over a period of time. In the beginning, there was no vowels attached to the letters. So in order to write Dawit, it would be da-wata, and it would be up to the reader to know that da 
also serves as a da and a we too. But these da do di da de do, what we are we will like all these uh, vowel systems came later on. At the time of Caleb, although the vowel systems were fully evolved, he chose this archaic style of writing uh, in order to, to, to document his expedition. The reason he did that was because he wanted to pay tribute to his ancestors. And I think that's pretty cool. Even though the latest version of writing system was already in use, he wanted to preserve his ancestors' practice. There is a lesson here. It is important to practice and preserve our culture. I unfortunately see often people trying to get rid of certain Ethiopian cultures or not giving it attention, but our cultures and customs are good and we need to pass it down to another. Uh, consider uh, this real life example. Uh, for those of you who may have heard, I recently got engaged. And uh, I remember I was talking to some people and I was like, you know, I'm very adamant. Uh, I'm sending a shemagale over to her her house. Um, and of those of you guys who don't know what shemagale is, the tradition of Ethiopia is when you get uh, married, you send elders. The, the guy send el sends elders to the house of his fiance, and the elders are supposed to be, you know, uh, kind of uh, talking to the family and persuading the family this is a good guy, this is, you know, um, please give uh, your hand in marriage. Like, they're asking permission for the family, for the daughter to marry the guy. So that's the tradition. And I kind of wanted to do it. And there were some people who were like, you know, what's the point? Because back in the day, this was a real thing. Elders really did go to the the house of the uh, the fiance fiance is the guy fiance is the girl yes so fiance in order to really ask for the permission from the parents or whatever but in this day and age the parents already have are willing so there are many people who are saying um why is this needed? Well, it's needed just for the aspect of it being a culture and an important culture to keep along our way. Uh, keep in mind that uh, the same thing with Caleb. At that time, there was no reason for him to use the archaic style of writing, but he was paying tribute to his ancestors the same way that I believe we need to preserve our culture and, and keep it, even though we don't really see the need for it. Culture needs to be preserved and protected. Now, um, the reason why I bring this up is because the rest of the world has uh, very, res they, they respect cultures. They respect customs. They have uh, museums to preserve cultures and to understand about previous historical aspects. But it seems to me like we, we want to get rid of it, like on purpose. And, and uh, you know, I just want to be a voice out here and say, hey, preserve your culture. There's nothing embarrassing about our culture. I think it's a beautiful culture that we should pre pres uh, preserve. Okay, all right, back to back to Caleb. After rescuing the Himerites and erecting the Stella, he headed back to Aksum. Unfortunately, a more severe persecution was beginning to take place in the same region soon after Caleb's return to Aksum. A man by the name of Yusuf Asar Yithar was determined to get rid of the Christians, whom he felt were in his way to restoring Jewish power. But in order to accomplish this mission, he knew he had to eliminate the possibility of King Caleb intervening again. With this in mind, 
He began heading over to the cities where the emperor had established places of worship for the local community and proceeded to burn the churches to the ground. But evidently, burning down churches wasn't enough for this evil leader, Yusuf. He wanted to exterminate any traces of remaining Ethiopians. Therefore, he captured and killed the Ethiopian priest and the soldiers of Kaleb had left behind to protect the local Christians. In his own words, this is supposedly the, uh, the, uh, the words of Yusuf himself. It says, First, I was able to throw into disorder and seize all those Ethiopians who remained in our country. We were guarding that church, which they had published abroad, that they had built in our country. And I killed them all, 280 men. Monks and laymen. That church of theirs I converted into a synagogue for us. We can only imagine the disdain he must have had against this group for him to speak about the Ethiopians in this manner after doing such heinous acts. It's worth mentioning, though, that this evil leader Yusuf's satisfaction in killing the Ethiopians reveals just how mighty Ethiopians must have been at the time because who would gloat over conquering weak nations right instead his statements reveal the sense of respect he must have had for the nation or to put it in another way he must have been terrified of what the Ethiopians had the capability to do to him we get a sense of his fear the next action he took. Leaving no room to chance, he set up a series of chains to serve as blockades within a small body of water that separated South Arabia and Northern Africa. This was, by all accounts, a bizarre plan and can only be described as paranoia. This reminds me of the whole Trump wanting to build a wall thing. It's a crazy plan. But in this case, Yusuf, this evil leader, apparently managed to actually build it without Mexico taking a part. A little joke there. Now that this evil king had killed the Ethiopians, who had been left to defend the Christians, and blocked their main entry into the city with a series of very long chains, he knew he could officially begin persecuting the local Christians without fearing of any sort of Ethiopian interference. This evil ruler continued to kill innocent Christian Hemorites through this region. The most gruesome event took place in the region known as Nazaran. The killing of Christians that took place there was so disturbing that the accounts of events were recorded in Arabic, Ethiopic, Greek, and several other Syrian traditions. As these written works indicate, the evil ruler entered the city and demanded that all the Christians surrender to him at once if they wanted to live to see another day. The Christians, fearing for their lives, did what they were told and surrendered to the king. Unfortunately for them, this ruler had no intention of sparing these innocent people. What followed is a manifestation of hatred 
he must have had against the Christians. One historian described the account in the following way. The citizens of Nazaran surrendered to him. But Yusuf, that is the evil leader, failed to keep his oath. After overpowering some 300 leading Christians, he ordered the bones of the bishops who were buried in Nazaran to be exhumed and collected in the church where he had them burned together with the laity and clerks. As you can imagine, these horrific events that took place in South Arabia shocked the world, especially that of the Christian realm, including the Emperor Rome, Justin I. If you do not know, Justin had declared himself the guardian of Christian across the world. So when this horrific events took place, it was natural for him to get involved. Sure enough, he sent a letter to the Ethiopian emperor Caleb to see if he would be willing to join forces and destroy the evil king who was persecuting the Christians. He promised him military assistance and any other help he would need. This is important to mention that the letter which Kale received from Justin I was hand-delivered by an Egyptian bishop. This was done intentionally. We'll see this more in detail in the future, but for now, just know Ethiopians were receiving bishops from Egypt at the time he had reverence for Egyptian clergy. Hence, having a message delivered by the hand of an Egyptian bishop gave the content of the letter more weight. Imagine uh, this following example. I am a deacon of the church, and sometimes people call me to come to their state to serve. Sometimes I get a, a call from a layman, someone I don't know, and one particular time I got a call from a bishop. When I get a call from a bishop to go, I tend to to almost always say yes. How do you say no to a bishop, right? We have this ruling thought character in ourselves. But if like a random person is calling me, you know, it's not to say that I will say uh, uh, no automatically, but I I'll give the word of the bishop more weight because, you know, there's that respect, reverence. Now for the king, for him to receive a letter from the hand of a bishop, not any ordinary bishop, from an Egyptian bishop, whom they were led to believe had some type of authority, gave the letter more weight. So just a review, Caleb was promised military assistance. This is key from the great empire from to rescue the Christians in South Arabia. And this letter was delivered by an Egyptian bishop, suggesting that the Egyptians were likely in favor of this campaign as well. But the problem was... When it came down to journey to South Arabia, there were crickets. There were no Romans, no help, no military assistance, or any form of assistance sent from either Rome, Egypt, or any other part of the world, the Christian realm that was so upset when they heard about the persecution of the Himorite Christians. Knowing he couldn't rely on his trusted allies from this earth, Caleb looked toward the heavens for divine assistance. Having prayed for God's support, he started a journey to South Arabia. But Caleb didn't know what the evil leader had planted, that those series of chains in the water to prevent Ethiopian ships from sailing onto his shores. But God had heard the prayer of Caleb. 
As soon as he reached the area where the chains were located, suddenly a group of Roman merchant ships appeared. I'm going to be very clear here. These ships were not an act of Rome's mediation, but of God's intervention. As the historian George Hotke points out, there is no indication that the Roman merchant ships were sent by Justin I himself. The ships were not ships built for battle. Instead, they were ships meant for purposes of commerce. For this reason, the credit for the arrival of the ships goes to God, not Justin I. God's presence in Caleb's expedition did not stop with the arrival of the uh, ships. From the information written about this event, we learn of a great storm that suddenly appeared, causing one of the ships to collide with a section of the chain placed by the evil king. The momentum of the waves then oriented the other ships in a, uh, such a way that they stacked up next to each other. This in turn created the perfect amount of force needed to break through the chains. With nothing else standing in his way, Caleb was able to go to the city and successfully restore peace there and find his true love, the Christian Hemorites. Isn't this an amazing story? Doesn't this deserve a movie? Much like the Disney movies, it has all the key ingredients. Caleb, despite the obstacles set in place by the antagonist, the uh, evil king, was able to find his love, the Christians in South Arabia. And yet, in mainstream history, we never hear about this occurrence in history. Instead, we hear about Ethiopia or even Africa at large and how poor or plagued with disease or divided with ethnic disputes it is and this, that, and the third. But I submit, we have a great history to tell. We have a beautiful history, one worth making a movie about. If we take time to read our history, if we take time to understand our background and the story of our ancestors, we'll see that we have a lot to be proud about. We have a lot in common with one another than we think. I hope you learned something here today. Share this story with others. And I can't wait to see you next time where we continue this chapter. Uh, once again, I want to encourage you guys to buy my book, become a supporter, follow me on Instagram or Twitter. My Instagram is dmulina. My Twitter is at dawithmulina6. If you want to come and support and be a patron, make sure to go to patreon.podbean.com forward slash dawithmulina. Again, that's patreon.podbean.com forward slash dawithmulina. And again, I thank all of you and I'll see you guys next time.